0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Blurred Box. I'm Chloe. I'm Pooja. And I'm Sophie. Uh, Haven's not here today, unfortunately, because she's quite occupied at a debate tournament. Wishing her the best of luck. But we're three online students, minus one, from all over the world. And we come together every week to bring you interesting discussions with interesting people because we like hearing different perspectives on various topics. Today, we are expanding our discussion on COVID-19 from last week, who we talked with Mr. Bragg about the socioeconomic impact of the virus. And we did touch upon the healthcare industry being impacted. So today we have Fatima Rahim here to talk with us about her expertise in the healthcare industry, as well as her advocacy with women's rights. So Fatima, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, my name is Fatima Rahim. I graduated from OHS one year ago almost exactly actually yeah Um, but yeah i'm a first year student at new york university i'm studying health systems innovation the intersections of health policy global health and advocacy in medicine it's a little bit of a mouthful um but yeah thank you guys for having me i'm excited to be here no thank you for for joining us
2: so before we get into our main topic you are actually our first guest that's like a full OHS to college student. So why don't you just like let the listeners know about how was that experience of transitioning from an online school to university, especially one in the big city?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. Um, I've actually been joking about this a lot in the last couple of days because OHS has prepared me exceedingly well for college, even more than I anticipated with the current online school situation. Um, So, yeah, as most schools have, like NYU has also got online. um, And obviously having the good old school online school finesse techniques from OHS, that's been helping a lot. Um, But beyond that, even before things went online, I... I could not stop telling everybody about how well I felt like OHS prepared me for college. Um, obviously like everyone's experience is different and this probably varies across different higher education institutions, um, but for me personally I felt really, really well prepared by my professors and just by the general OHS community um, for the college experience. So. While most of my peers and everyone are like, oh, I have to read for class, I have to like actually turn in my assignments on time, um, I already have been so well prepared by OHS to know these things, to know how to effectively prepare for class, know to go to office hours and all of these like small different techniques and strategies that I initially took on at, during my time at OHS. So yeah, it's been, luckily, a really smooth transition even with having to move online. So big shout out to OHS for that.
3: I'm just curious, but um, do you have online live classes right now, like live lectures that you have to go to at NYU or is it all just previously recorded lectures?
1: Yeah, so I know a lot of schools are doing previously recorded lectures, but NYU is doing live lectures and I'm actually taking summer classes also. So I've been taking classes since like starting last week again. Um, but yeah, all of our classes are live. We actually, like, last semester, I even had my, my chemistry lab moved online, which was a very interesting experience um, because my NYU lab professor did not have the same uh, online lab experiences as, like, Dr. Christina Vetter or Dr. Jim Doherty at OHS. So it was it was an interesting online lab experience.
0: Nice, yeah, outside of school though, and uh, you know obviously because that is I guess the biggest factor you know always being on campus as a college student, how has the virus m- most impacted your life so far?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, so like obviously like I've got experience with the whole online school situation so that wasn't that wasn't as big of as as big of an impact as it probably was for other students for me it was more so um, finally like, leaving my small town and moving to a big city, I was finally, like, by the time COVID hit, I was pretty well adjusted to the city. Um, I was I was really embracing my newfound independence and freedom. Uh, so for me, the hardest part has kind of just been coming back home, moving back in with my parents. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It just feels like, uh, it just feels a little bit more stagnant than where I was before, but we'll get through it.
2: For me, being homeschooled and now going to an online school, like, First, I just don't know, like, I've never had that, like, school, like, in-person brick and mortar experience, but I also never, like, really been that far away from my parents. So it was just, like, the idea of college seems, like, a little bit scary, but also really exciting just to, like, be independent on my own. So I can totally feel that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And especially being in such a big city, it was definitely very much both scary and exciting. Um, But yeah, you guys are going to love it. College is great. Especially when it's not.
0: <laughs> is there anything that you particularly miss about home or before going to college?
1: Um, before going to co- Well, let's see. What do I miss? Honestly, well, while I was at college, um, this really isn't like the typical experience for most people, but I never really got homesick. Um, yeah, which is strange, but I, yeah, it was, I was lucky. I found like an immediate sense of community and belonging, um, at NYU which was I got really lucky with that
3: that's nice yeah yeah were there definitely. any other OHS kids that you knew or know that went to um, to NYU
1: um yeah there's actually um there's a good handful of o- uh, OHS grads at NYU actually a funny story one time I was walking out of my chem recitation um and out of nowhere I saw a kid with a Stanford online high school t-shirt on and I was oh. like oh <laughs> Um, I believe it was Alexander Rose. I think it was, like, a couple years ahead of me. But it was really cool just to see, like, another OHSer there so randomly. And then um, there's also, like, sorry, go ahead.
2: Sorry, I was just, like, that's honestly, like, kind of nice that they're, like, repping the Stanford Online High School merch even in college. Kind of just show goes to show, like, how, like, vital this OHS community is to a lot of people. And I know that's the same thing for me. But, yeah, yeah. continue. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And just on that point about how vital and central the OHS community is to me, even now in college, a lot of different schools, there's like Columbia, NYU, the new school and all of that. So it's been nice. I actually get to see my OHS friends a lot more than I used to back during high school, which is an interesting dynamic. That's oh, wow.
2: Awesome. That's so nice. Um, so thank you for sharing your experience. I know a lot of OHS students will love, love to hear that. But um yeah. Just moving on to like more of the main topic, I know that you're really passionate about advocating, which is honestly so amazing to me because I know advocacy is something I wanna pursue later on in my life and also like right now. So I was just wondering like, if you could give a little bit background about like how you started on your path towards advocacy, like prior to college and also like, if there was anything that influenced you to choose that path specifically?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I highly highly encourage everyone to get involved with advocacy and whatever manifestation it takes. And like every, I feel like it's relevant to every every part of life, every career path. Um, but for me personally, advocacy and community service in general were always a big part of my childhood and just growing up around that. Um, back in high school, I think I was a sophomore. Was really the first time I got involved with tangible action in advocacy. Um, and that was during the period of when there was, a, and there still are, lots of mass shootings and school shootings. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard for the March for Our Lives movement. Um, I had spoken at a rally um, in my local town. And you can imagine, <laughs> I'm from Idaho. I don't know if we mentioned that yet, which is uh, not the bluest state out there. <laughs> um, so growing up here has been a really interesting dynamic. It's taught me to be really open-minded and how to develop very strong arguments and defend my viewpoints um, and just engage in really interesting discussions with people who might not necessarily agree with what I have to say. Um, so yeah, when I was a, I think it was, I was either a sophomore or a junior, I spoke at the March for Our Lives rally that was being held here. Um, and it was it was really my first time engaging in activism and I was, I was shocked to see there was a lot of support. Um, obviously there was the expected backlash. So there were people pulling up with like, suited with like ten guns on them, <laughs> um, but there was a lot of support, and I it was really cool because I met a lot of like-minded individuals with similar goals and passions, um, and that's where that's kind of where I founded Youth Activism Society back at like two years ago now maybe, um, just with another group of like young young people and high schoolers, who were passionate to see change in our local community. Um, you've probably heard of it now because. Uh, my little sister, Alina, runs it, and arguably she does a better job than I did, but don't tell her I said that. Um, <clears throat> but no, yeah, it was a really great, it is it is a really great organization, um, and that's kind of where I found my passion for activism and advocacy, and we would just engage in local community efforts and volunteer for different causes that were important to us, from sex education to firearm violence um, and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: You're- you're also really huge on health equity could you tell us why that particular field
1: yes definitely so public health has actually always <clears throat> been a really big part of my approach to medicine um, to me the field is really just the intersection of medicine and advocacy and justice um, so I started doing public health research also back in high school I think my junior year and um, Sorry, my junior year, the summer after my junior year, before my senior year, I spent in Boston uh, doing research at the Center for Surgery and Public Health. It's this joint, a really, really great and brilliant collaboration um, between Harvard School of Public Health, uh, Harvard School of Medicine, and Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Um, And this was the first, this was one of my first research experiences in public health, in the realm, in the field of public health. Um, And what I focused on there was researching healthcare disparities. Um, A lot of people don't realize, but there's a lot of, there is a lot of room for advocacy and justice in medicine, especially just my philosophy towards medicine has always incorporated justice and advocacy and activism. Because personally, I feel like being a good physician, being a good doctor requires a lot more than being well-versed in the sciences. It's a lot, to me, it's a lot more than biology and chemistry. It has to do with, socio-political awareness and truly being an advocate for your patients. Um, And public health has always been a way to create systematic change, in my opinion. Um, But yeah, no, you're totally good. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, I'm just saying, wow, that is awesome.
2: And I know that just by hearing how you speak, I just know you're going to be like an awesome doctor because I really love how you said that (laughs) it's really mostly about advocating for your patient. And I really love that but I
1: guess stemming from
2: that and talking a little bit about like COVID-19 since it's just like really prevalent in our society right now like what are your thoughts about like health equity during this time like I feel like it's a vicious circle kind of like those with less access to socioeconomic resources are usually more likely to contract the virus however because of contracting this virus they're also most likely to lose income or health care so it's it's kind of sad, but I'm just like wondering what, like, what your thoughts on it.
1: Exactly. No, that's a really, really brilliant point that you bring up, Sophie. And I'm taking a health and human rights class this summer. Um, and this is exactly what we've been talking about, is the interconnected nature of these health issues. So there's a lot of different social determinants of health from uh, a person's income to their race. All of these things really affect their health outcomes. Um, and a really big point that I've actually just recently been talking about a lot is the social, physical, and uh, mental interconnectedness of health. So there's these three really... Obviously, like, arguably there's other domains, but these three domains are very much interconnected. So, uh, for example, a person's uh, economic status affects their health if they can't afford nutritious food or afford to go to the doctor. That'll impact their health with adverse outcomes. And at the same time, it's like a person's physical health impacts their psychological health and vice versa. Um, you can see that in a lot of different situations. I'm trying to think of something more COVID relevant. But like you said, if someone can't uh, can't afford to take time off of work, that'll, that'll cause a lot of stress and possibly anxiety. That'll in turn impact their physical health
0: um, and cause things like hypertension and other diseases. What is your two cents on how the response to the health equity balance or imbalance is going on right now in the world?
1: Well, I think a really important thing to keep in mind right now is health inequities are nothing new. Like these have existed since before COVID um, and it's a very multifaceted problem to take on because it's not one dimensional. There's a lot of different influences on health equity from the economy to implicit bias to all of these different factors that need to be taken into account. Um, So yeah, it's something that's very difficult to approach, but something that I think needs to change systematically uh, more than anything. So we really need to have policies, um, and tangible pieces of legislature and action to combat health inequity. It's not something that's going to go away um, because, in my opinion, health inequity is the result of centuries of systems of oppression and discrimination. So it's, it's definitely not something easy to change, but it's something that I want to actively work towards changing.
3: Is that something that you plan on continuing in the future, like um, after med school or whatever you plan to do after graduating from NYU. Um, how do you plan to continue advocacy into the future, whether that be in medicine or whatever else you pursue?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. No, that's a great question. Um, for me personally, I feel like advocacy and activism is something that I want to maintain throughout all, of, all aspects of my life, in my career, in my personal life um and all of that so it's definitely something that i want to keep with me throughout college throughout medical school and then even after being a physician and i just want to use all of these different privileges and these capacities that i have and to help other people um and that typically uh for me that manifests in public health and so when i have the degrees and the training and the education that i need i want to use these different tools and capacities to create uh tangible and systematic change um So ultimately, I I I really want to be coming out with groundbreaking research and uh, informing different policies that can change the healthcare system that is so flawed today.
3: That is awesome. That's
2: awesome.
1: Thank you. I also
2: I also know that you're interested in like a lot of women's rights issues as well, like period poverty or catcalling, just like on the baseline could you like tell us more about your work towards these issues as well and like why you decided to advocate them for them specifically
1: yeah definitely uh i i initially became involved with period and cat calls when i left for college um so because activism and community service have always been such a regular part of who i am working to create, uh, tangible actions for issues that are important. Um, but yeah, so these two organizations, uh, specifically, they really stood out to me because they have been founded by these brilliant women. Sophie and Nadia are two people that I absolutely have the most utmost respect and admiration for the way they've created their organizations without, um, without this hierarchical structure that, kind of tends to lessen the voices of like newcomers. So with period and catcalls, once I joined them, I felt automatically like my voice was heard, like my presence was valued, that I was making meaningful contributions to these causes and to these initiatives. Um, But yeah, these uh, these two issues, specifically sexual harassment and period poverty. Um, So period poverty is, in my opinion, another public health issue, because this has to do with the health and wellness of a group of people, menstruators, um, throughout the world, and so that was just another way of me manifesting the intersection of medicine and health and advocacy and activism. So it really came together in that organization. And then catcalls was—it uh, was really just a catcalls to me is a very innovative approach to advocacy. Um, just using chalk is really just holding up a mirror to society um, and revealing the toxic masculinity and the sexism that exists in our sociopolitical spheres. Um, and, I, and I specifically say toxic masculinity because this is most often and disproportionately an issue that's created by men um, and cat collars, and it disproportionately affects women and trans women. Um, but, yeah, and I think that's another really important point to bring up when we talk about women's rights is the intersectionality of women's rights. So I feel like women's rights is nothing without talking about the women that are most disproportionately impacted by this. And that would be women of color, especially black women. I would be trans women, indigenous women. I feel like it's very important to address um, the the women who are most affected by these issues, because honestly, without them, there would never be a women's rights movement. Um, but yeah, so that is, that is in short, <laughs> a very long-winded answer to why I value and cherish these specific organizations. Um, but I definitely, definitely highly encourage everyone to find a local chapter period or catcalls or start one if there's not one in the region, because these two founders, these brilliant women, Nadia and Sophie, have made activism so accessible to anyone. So if there's a local chapter, or if you want to start one, it's, um, it's obviously it's not easy to do, but it's possible.
2: Wow, I actually I really love how you said that you chose these organizations because of their leadership. And I think that's really important because the way you cultivate your like environment for your members is very important because a lot of people I feel like can get turned off by advocacy if they feel like they're not valued or they're not um inducing enough change just because of the organization they chose to partake in. So I really like that these organizations, and you chose them specifically, for their leadership, so that's really nice. And of course, the topics that you're advocating for are super prevalent. I still can't believe that not, there's still places that have period tax. I just, like for period products, I just don't I don't get that at all, but I'm really glad that you're trying to push that forward and induce change. So, Thanks. great Yeah, job.
1: definitely. And, and even just adding to that, another thing I really admire is the innovation. So in the age of COVID and of this global pandemic, both of these organizations have been doing incredible work to be very innovative and very creative about how they advocate for these issues. The period team is just brilliant in how they've been organizing different ways of providing products to menstruators um, who need them. And then Cat Calls has been so creative with digital cat calling and just like chalking around the world virtually. Um, for not only sexual harassment but now even for the black lives matter movement so all of these issues are very interconnected and um it's it's nice to see that something tangible is being done that's
2: that's a really great point actually i feel like COVID 19 has like forced us to be very innovative in our solutions or ways to advocate so i'm glad that they're utilizing this time mm-hmm. and also stemming from this discussion of COVID 19 i know That, you know, we're in a current time of like shelter in place and social distancing. And I know women specifically have been very vital during this pandemic. Like they take either like caregiving responsibility or they're either on the front lines as like essential workers. But I feel like that we still have these deep rooted, like longstanding issues that were previously ignored. And now they're just being highlighted even more especially with, like, regards to the wage gap or other issues. So, in turn, during this time of, like, during this pandemic, we're kind of somehow inhibiting women's rights during COVID-19. So I just, like, wanted to know your general thoughts on, like, about this topic, and do you feel like there are disparities that are being ignored?
1: Yeah, definitely. That is, uh, that's a great question. Um, I definitely think women are another one of the disenfranchised populations that are being disproportionately impacted by COVID um, in so many different ways. And I feel like the pandemic is just exacerbating issues that have already been existing for centuries. Um, And we're we're only just highlighting them even more now because it's impossible to ignore. Um, Issues, like you said, the wage gap. Essential workers, women are obviously being paid less than their male counterparts, and that's... That's a huge issue, especially in times where the economy is in such a crisis. Um, But then there's also issues of domestic violence and intimate partner violence, which disproportionately impacts women. Um, And for a lot of people, sheltering in place and staying home is not a safe option. Um, And so they're left without, they're left with very limited options and places to go and resources. So it's very important that we advocate for women. Um, And I personally like to do women with an X as a more inclusive term, because then we're really emphasizing the intersectionality of this and the women who are disproportionately impacted, that being low income women, women of color, trans women, indigenous women, black women. Um, there's
0: a lot of voices that need to be uh, uplifted and we need to make space for that. Could you actually give us some insight as to also how you're advocating for this and kind of like what work you're able to do as an example for others who might want to get involved too?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, There's a lot of different ways of engaging with advocacy. It manifests in so many different forms. Um, in the digital age, age, there's so many different ways of digitalized activism. There's a lot of social media groups. Um, so yeah, I definitely highly encourage people to get involved with these organizations, whether it's finding a chapter period or joining catcalls or, um, a little bit biased here, but I find youth activism society is a great, (laughs) is a great group who's been doing incredible work during this time. Um, and just utilizing the tools and the resources that are available to you to do what you can. Um, it's equally important just to be having discussions and raising awareness with your own family. Uh, we've been, everyone's spending a lot of time at home. It's a great time to discuss these issues and engage in important and meaningful conversations. Um, there's also ways of just spreading awareness. Um, and then in my opinion, I feel like at this time specifically, it's very important to be taking tangible action, Um, So, for issues that are important to you, I highly encourage you to write letters and call your representatives to sign petitions and to research and really educate yourself on the issues that matter to you. Um, But yeah, there's definitely a lot of different ways to be an activist. Um, There's one definition of activism that I really subscribe to. It's by Dr. Ibrahim X. Kendi, uh, who wrote this incredible book that I recommend to everyone, but I'll get to that. But he basically says that Activism truly is just create actively working towards power and policy change. Um, so activism isn't necessarily just tweeting about something, but it's actively working towards changing a policy, changing a power structure. Um, but yeah, I think that all of that is extremely important, and whatever anyone can do to utilize their own privilege to help others is very valuable. Um, and obviously, it's not an easy field to navigate, so I always like to make myself available to anyone who has any questions or Um, need some advice on how to get involved. So obviously, like, I'm more than happy to help with whoever if they want to reach out to me over Instagram or even email or whatever.
3: That's That's great. I definitely like that quote, especially, because it kind of shows that advocacy is really a process and it's not something that happens instantly or it's not just one word that sparks change. It's a process and constantly working towards that, which I think is something that you've obviously been involved with starting your sophomore year, of high school, but I was also wondering if there are any clubs on campus at NYU. I know now you might not be able to be as involved in them, but if there were clubs that you were involved in and that you would recommend for other students who might be applying to college or going to college in the future.
1: Um, yeah, that is a great question. I was on campus, I took a gap semester actually, so I was on campus for total of like 50 days exactly, I would say, so I actually didn't have the time or the chance to join too many clubs. Um, but NYU has like, um, every school has some kind of, uh, some different variation of a club or a society to get involved with. Uh, for me, initially, I joined period and cat calls. Um, and I had just recently started looking into NYU clubs. There's like, obviously, like, there's political groups. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to get involved. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, I actually also like really love that definition or quote you said that represented activism and advocacy. I remember, for me, I remember someone told me that the reason why we advocate, or I guess what advocacy means, is that it's basically to change what is into what should be. And I feel like that's why advocates are so important. It's like, it's people like you that are truly inspirations. Like, you're honestly a role model, especially to me. I mean, because, (laughs) you know, because like, as a woman, and especially one of color, I I feel those divides. And it makes me realize that we can't keep being content for what the world is right now. And instead, we should be trying to change the world into what it should be. Because only then will we have equality or the feeling of belonging or safety. And so that is what you're doing. That is what advocates are doing. They're inducing change. So it's a little bit of an off topic thing. Just keep Doing what you do and just
3: oh, keep being
1: you. <laughs> thank you. No, I'm I'm so flattered. Typically, I don't like to like label even myself as an activist, um, but I I try to do what
0: I can and I appreciate you guys having me on this platform. Um, yeah, no, it's a pleasure having you on. I do want to ask though, with your understanding of health equity as well as you know the disparity of women's rights during this time of COVID-19, do you see any other fields or, you know, like politics that you did bring up? How is health inequity impacting the rest of society? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, I think this
1: really goes back to the interconnected nature of just the, the social and the psychological and the physical health impacts, because it's very, it's very holistic. There's a lot that has to do with it. Um, and like you were saying, health inequity, it impacts every realm of life. It impacts someone's capacity to work. It impacts um, their, just their capacity to exist and to live. Um, so I think it's really important to address health and health inequity with policies. Um, but yeah, all of it is very interconnected. And I feel like, uh, even if like, I feel like it's just extremely important to combat health inequity because it's so closely related to racial issues, to sexism, to gender issues, to women's rights
3: and all of that. But yeah. What do you think is preventing people from addressing this issue? Just in your opinion, I know it's probably a lot of things, but if there were a couple major things that were preventing this.
1: That is a great question. There's definitely, there's definitely a lot of things. I think one of it is just complacency. A lot of people, they don't feel the need to go out of their way for issues that don't personally affect them. Um, And to me, that's privilege. if someone's able to ignore an issue just because it doesn't personally affect them, they're extremely privileged. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are very much complacent and just happy with the way things are because they're not being affected by it. But we need to we need to realize that this is affecting so many people, and justice is not going to prevail un- until everybody else has justice. Um, and I think that's really important to just keep in mind with the current socio political climate and everything that's been going on. Um, It's really important to just address that fact and realize that everyone is ready for change. Everyone has been ready for change for centuries um, and just not be complacent and not be silent and be uh, unsatisfied with the way things are and the way things have been for centuries.
0: Oh, yeah. I did want to ask, forgive me if I'm being ignorant about this, Um, we were told that you have Pakistani heritage. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that is correct. I'm very proud of my Pakistani roots.
0: <laughs> have you gone back recently or have you just been in Idaho most of your life?
1: That is such a good question. Actually, the first time I ever went to Pakistan was right before I left for college. So maybe like two years ago now, maybe. Maybe one like, I can't. I'm so bad with time. But yeah, that was the first time I had ever gone back. And it just felt amazing to be surrounded by my roots for the first time because I grew yeah. up in a predominantly white community. Um, and beyond, like, my immediate family members, I've never really been surrounded by people who look like me, so going to Pakistan was an incredible experience.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. Um, So, it's not a random question, just kind of asking, because have you been there long enough to be able to answer this? Whether, is there a really large difference between how you know, you're advocating for these issues. How do you see them being differently responded to or, you know, um, evolving in Pakistan versus in the U.S. or in Idaho, where you are?
1: That is such a great question. And I have a lot of discussions about this in my own family. Um, So the health disparities and the injustices that exist in the U.S., are, they're horrible and they need to be changed, but they're completely unparalleled by the way these injustices function in underdeveloped countries. Um, and just the the degree to which health disparities exist in Pakistan is just, it's, it's insane. It's at an even more exacerbated degree than we see here. Um, but yeah, the way these issues are approached, a big part of it is that at least here we have the freedom to talk about them and to... To just have ex, have discussions and express ourselves and say something if we're not satisfied with the way things are over there. There's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of backlash for speaking out about things. Um, so it's definitely it's it's not the same, but I think something similar needs
0: to go on over there. Yeah. What would you have to say about the women's rights then as well in that same context of question?
1: Yeah, that is a great that's a great question for women's rights specifically. There's a lot of There is a lot of uh, specifically domestic abuse and emotional abuse that happens in South Asian communities in Pakistan and even in South Asian communities in the United States. And this is something that I'm very personally passionate about uh, speaking out against because domestic violence and intimate partner violence exists so prevalently in South Asian communities in the U.S. and in Pakistan even more. Um, So that's another really big women's rights issue that I really want to change. Yeah, Yeah. definitely
3: trying to be the voice for people who don't have a voice is probably one of the biggest parts of advocacy.
2: I completely agree that there's so much injustice in the U.S., but at least we have, like, at least there's like a capability to have change, like through Me Too movement or something like that. But I feel like in Pakistan... That's not really going to happen anytime soon, which is quite sad because I'm also of Pakistani heritage, but (sighs) I just, I hope that one day we'll be able to change. And I also hope that it will get better. So thank you for that.
0: I have so many more questions. I'm sure the rest of us do on that particular topic, but we do have a traditional box segment that we would like you to engage in. So Sophie's going to give a bit more context as to what that entails.
3: Okay.
2: traditionally, so Fatima, traditionally we have a box segment where we have the guests say something that's inside of the box related to a specific topic and also something that is outside of the box related to a specific topic. So for this segment today, inside of the box, could you give us a couple of phrases or sentences about how, how health inequity is
1: negatively affected by COVID-19? That makes sense. I'm trying to think of like the best because it's... Like- health inequity and it's like a negative and then we're like trying to be like what's I'm let's
3: see well, like how has health equity or inequity caused us to rethink the way that we're actually treating society or like people members of society is that so the issue
2: specifically yeah. like how maybe that it's been more highlighted during COVID-19 and how is yeah. that both negatively affected
1: or how is that pushed change yeah, I think I I think I see maybe like The positive and the negative that we're getting out of seeing the health inequities during COVID, because like
2: obviously it's
0: revealing
1: something
0: that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are some misconceptions that you've seen with uh, that particular field, and then what are some that you know are right, and which are the ones that are wrong?
1: I yeah, I think that's a great one. Should I just get into it?
0: Yeah, go for it. (laughs)
1: Okay. um, Well, one of the biggest misconceptions that I've seen in health equity. Um, and this actually goes back to like, uh, I actually did research for this, um, for an OHS class with Dr. Anthony Smith, shout out to him. He is incredible for letting me do this as my research project, but this goes back to scientific racism that prevailed in the late 18th century, um, during like the illegalization of slavery, um, after slaves were emancipated, uh, the, the white supremacists at the time needed a reason to justify the oppression of African Americans. Um, And one of the things that they turned to to justify this inhumane treatment was scientific racism. So using pseudoscience and completely unbiased claims to oppress blacks in America. Um, And so like some examples of what they did was like compare like the cranial capacity of Of blacks and whites to their intellect and their intelligence, and uh, let's see. I'm thinking, and like another example would be the theory of polygenesis, and that's to say that humans evolved from like two different races, one being inferior and the other being superior to the other. Um, So there's this whole idea of going to like these inherent traits and characteristics of a person in order to justify their oppression, and science has been historically used as a vehicle to do this um so now when we think about that that kind of manifests its way into the into the argument that people often take is that health inequities are the product of natural discrepancies and natural biological differences when really that's scientifically completely untrue health inequity is the product of hundreds and thousands of social determinants of health which range from someone's race to their income to implicit biases to their housing situation to the environment that they live in Um, There's even things like environmental racism where someone's location, someone's like uh, where they live geographically impacts their health. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of different determinants of someone's health and none of it really has to do with their biology. And that's a huge misconception that I've seen in the field and just like general responses and like backlash that I've gotten um, and that I've heard.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's exactly kind of the information we were looking for. Um, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that fell in line.
0: Very nice. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts on that? Otherwise, I think I really enjoyed this conversation. Hey, and I think I've learned too. a lot from from you in terms of what that field kind of entails and, you know, how we can go forward with that. And you've set a very good example, obviously, as Sophie's emphasized, on being a good example for those who want to get involved for for younger women uh, of especially of a, like a di- different heritage compared to you know the normal of what you would think like you said growing up in Idaho in a very. Uh, you know, white community um, and kind of being the minority. I think a lot of people will relate to that. And I think that's been very helpful. So thank you for coming on once again and talking about all of this with us. Yes, okay. thank you so much. We're wrapping up our season, guys. We're getting to the end yeah. of the season. Yeah. It's We finished our school year. I'm sure the rest of you are coming to the end of your school year as well. Personally for us, we have our online graduation, which is something, and we'll have a special senior episode coming out. So be sure to look out for that on June 6th. And follow up by that, we'll just have another special finale, I guess you could call recap episode, with just the four of us, the, our four co-hosts on this podcast, to kind of listen in on our whole year so far. It's been a really tumultuous ride. It's been a really crazy year, not just for us, but also in the world. So be sure to tune in for that episode and hear us just discuss our experience for, from this year and kind of wrap up or have some reflections from this year if you guys have anything else to add <laughs> otherwise that's about it so no yeah thank you for listening to Blurred box with chloe minus haven puja and sophie
2: if you like our show and want to know more check us out on anchor spotify or apple or google podcast or leave us a review on itunes Please join us next week for another episode of Blurred Box, and we release episodes every Saturday.
3: We would love to hear
2: your feedback,
3: suggestions, and questions, which you can email to blurredbox88 at gmail.com. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Board Box for the latest updates. Stay tuned <laughs> for the next you, episode. Emma. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you